You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, excuse me, chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, as I just kind of work through most of this chapter. And as you get there, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would visit us and come now to your church and fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, as we even heard during these announcements, God, that you change our lives, you change our stories, and that is who you are. And so we want to encounter you now, the living God, Jesus Christ, resurrected, our Savior and Lord. So visit us now in our souls and our spirits, we pray. We give you glory. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And the church can say out loud, amen. Amen. This message is going to be called Tenderhearted. Twice in this chapter, uh, Apostle Paul is going to mention himself, but also the Lord being very different, being very tenderhearted. And he's going to reference that the Lord is like a mother in that sense, tenderhearted. And then he'll turn around the next paragraph and say, but the Lord is also like a father, tenderhearted. And he's going to mention that he has liked that with these people from Thessalonica. He has both been a fatherly and a tender heart. He's both a motherly and a tender heart. And dare I say that one of the things that we need to embrace is the tender-hearted nature of God. God is awesome, for which we would say yes. And God is wise and he is powerful and he's able. God is truthful. Uh, God is always wise. And God has resurrection power for you. There's all kinds of things like that we can describe. But don't miss the fact that the Bible is going to talk about very clearly that God is tenderhearted. So here in chapter 2, we're going to start out. For this is going to say here in the scripture, is going to say verse 1. Again, I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So Paul is actually reminding the church of something that's really very interesting, and that is the very context of how he came to these people was in a lot of conflict. So part of the backstory to know about the Thessalonians is that there was a lot of conflict to them coming to Christ. And there's probably a lot of conflict to you coming to Christ. Most of us come to Christ with some sort of inner turmoil that has happened into our lives, where God has actually led us to that point where we've come to the end of our lives. But then, sometimes there's also a sociological context to that, where our society is breaking down, or where society's not getting along, where people are actually full of strife, And so that's some of what was also going on in ancient Greece in this place called Thessalonica. So let me just kind of walk you through in very brief some of the understanding of the context of ministry that Paul found himself in. So first, Paul here is referencing this conflict. Here's one thing I want you to sort of get in your minds, and that when it comes comes to conflict in the Lord, conflict often produces much fruit. 
I'm sure you don't sign up for it. I'm sure if I say, hey, how would you like to sign up for conflict and it will produce much fruit? Why don't you guys all come forward now, right now, and you know, you can answer, answer the prayer. Come join me up here. You know, if you want lots of conflict in your life and it will produce much fruit, I think everyone's gonna sit down. Right? And I would agree with you. I would be there. I was like, well, I don't want to sign up for that. <laughs> I don't want to sign up for the program that says, give me conflict and give me fruit. I want no conflict. <laughs> I, want, I want it all to be done with. But the truth is that much conflict, as Apostle Paul is referencing here, actually produces much fruit. And sometimes conflict in your life, especially as a follower of Jesus Christ, can actually mean that God is working powerfully in your life but the forces of darkness are not liking that or that you're actually in the process of learning to overcome many things. And so in the scriptures, in terms of the history here, this is found in Acts 15, Acts 16, Acts 17, Acts 18, in terms of references, there are the stories of Paul's missionary journeys. And so he comes first to a place called Philippi. Now I mentioned these places in the book of Acts because they're, they're sort of cousin to where we live here in the San Andreas Valley. And that it's really easy, even in the old days without cars, to go from Buellton to Los Olivos. You could do that. And you could actually go from Los Olivos to Lompoc. And you can come to Lompoc if you want to make a big trip, you can go to San Inez. And you can go to, you can go to Solvang. And you can go uh, all the way up to Los Alamos. In other words, you can kind of get around these townships relatively easy. And so the book of Acts is like that as it mentions these ancient townships uh, in ancient Greece. And so the first one that Paul arrives to is in Philippi. It's right next to the, where the Thessalonians live. Philippi is a small town. Uh, he wants to go preach the gospel. And there's like not even buildings for it. You know, so we're in a tent right now. It's kind of like that. And so there were Jews that were down by the river, just like we have this river right over here. And there's Jews down there because there, were, there weren't buildings. Was, Philippi was a small town. And he goes, I want to preach Jesus and let them know that Jesus is the Messiah who's resurrected from the dead. And so he goes down to the riverfront. And there he finds some people, not many, that are worshiping the Lord. And he finds a woman named Lydia and she gets saved. And then she uh, gets full of the Holy Spirit. There's all this conflict that goes on. Then these people come with bats and they beat the apostle for preaching the gospel. This is all in the book of Acts. And they beat this guy and they put him in prison. And they put him in prison after beating him. And then at midnight, at midnight, what would you be doing if you were beaten up for following Jesus, beaten up with bats for following Jesus and preaching the gospel, and then thrown in prison? Should I ask here who's been in prison and whether it's pleasant or nice? Don't raise your hands. Right? We should all say prison is not pleasant. <laughs> not in the modern world and not in the ancient world. And so it's midnight and all they've done is what we're doing here. I just wanted to worship. And I just wanted to proclaim the love of God to people and all the things which we already mentioned about Christ. That's all we wanted to do. But we're beaten for him. We're put in prison. It's not pleasant. And at midnight, what would you be doing? You know what Paul was doing? It was Bible says he was worshiping. He was actually worshiping Jesus with his buddies there. They're actually worshiping. And because they're just worshiping, the power of God comes and an earthquake comes and busts open the prison doors. You, you can say yes to that. That's a good moment. It's so like, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. And so, 
And so the jailer, because he thought the prisoners had escaped, was going to kill himself because he didn't want that kind of punishment which would come to him. And so Paul says, no, don't do that. We're all right here. He goes, you guys are here? You can see this is like a cave and it's dark and it's damp and he doesn't know who's there. And so he finds out all the prisoners are still there. And so Paul tells him about Jesus and said, you're going to get saved today. And this promise is for you and your family. And he gives his life to Jesus. And it's incredible. And then they let him go the next day. And so now he's going to go to another town to preach. And that's when he comes to the Thessalonians. He comes to Thessalonica. He's there three weeks. The whole town is turned upside down because so many people are coming to Christ. And so again, a mob rises up and they're going to attack him. And there's, a, there's actually a guy named Jason who's a believer now. And he goes, I know exactly how to handle this. And he's wealthy. And he starts paying off the mob figures and saying, hey, here's my checkbook. Leave my friends alone and let them escape. He actually pays them off. And of course, they go, okay, well, sure, that's fine. We'll take the money. This is the world that Paul was in. And he goes down to this place called Berea, which had really smart people. And so they wanted to turn up every verse. And that's actually a compliment to be called a Berean Christian. And these were people that could, you know, like I know with sometimes with some of you, I play this game and, uh, you know, we're going to find out the truth of the Bible. And can, you, can I do it faster than you? Or can you get it on your phone faster than I can get it, right? And so these Bereans, they, they could beat the phone every time, right? They had the answers. That's the kind of people they were. They went down to Athens, and Paul would preach the gospel there. They went to Corinth. And so this is the backstory of your Bible. Listen, there's a context to ministry. God wants to raise you up to minister to others. He wants to raise you up to be a blessing to your community and to other people. But the answer to your prayers may require you to walk through some sort of conflict. Don't fear it. Trust God. That's what Paul is saying as he works through these. You yourselves, brothers, know that our coming to you was not in vain. In other words, you understood this. But though we had already suffered, those are those stories that I told you, and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as I already referenced to you, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the middle of all of this conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we've been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, so not as to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we came, Paul will say, we came, not with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext towards greed. God is witness. I'm in verse five there. Sometimes, you have to walk through it. Sometimes the way a storm is, is that you have to go through the storm and there is another side to that storm. And I wish I could tell you anything else. Don't believe it. Don't believe if somebody gets here and says, hey, you're gonna have a simple prayer and, you're, and there'll never be any storms in life. That person's a liar. Don't believe them. It's not true. Apostle Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, loving the Lord and every other saint that's ever followed Jesus has had storm after storm and trusted God through all of those conflicts and been better for them as God would raise them up. And so Paul here now is talking about God's love and being tenderhearted. And he's letting these people know that he's had integrity and authenticity. And so I'm gonna pick it up here in verse six. 
nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, I'll explain that in a moment. But verse seven, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So he's letting them know how he feels about them. So he's talking about being tender-hearted and tender-hearted like a mom. So my sons one time really, uh, really liked to poke at dad on occasion, and they got me one time. So there, I have four sons. This is when they're much younger, and uh, two of them wanted to sit down. Now, it's kind of funny in my house because, uh, you know, my sons would have such a serious face on occasion. So the two sons want to sit me down on the coffee table, and they say, Dad, we just have, we just have to ask you this question. They're just little guys. I'm like, okay, yeah, guys, what's up? They go, Dad, Mom is awesome. Mom is really, really incredible. She's really a great lady. I'm like, well, you should tell her that, son. No, we're not going to tell her that. Right? That's how sons are with moms half the time. But they're going to say that to me. They're like, no, she's really incredible. Yeah, okay, great. So we have a question for you, Dad. Sure, sure. Yeah, I love you. I love your mom. She's great. Then, then how, how did you catch her? Because we're, we're talking in the room. All four of us are asking, what did she see in you, Dad, that she married you? I'm like, well, you're going to have to ask her that, but it starts with mercy. <laughs> she had mercy on me. And somewhere in there, she had love for me, right? But that's the nature of a mom, right? That's, that's the nature of how a mom is. A mom ends up having so many behaviors towards her children and so many behaviors in the household of a deep, endearing nature. It's not just that I might do this for you or that for you. It's that I actually desire to love you and have a relationship with you. It's that my mom heart is open to you. And it's that my, my motherhood is actually giving to you of such a sacrificial nature. And of course, it's, it's spiritual and it's physical because the child came from the mother. And so, so there, there's this connection that's really unique in that sense. And so Paul is saying, I came to you, church, like this. I came and preached the gospel to you. I, I'm in that sense kind of a mom to you because this church didn't exist. And so, and so I care for you like this tender mother. So I know that there's other speakers out there. I know there's other philosophers out there. I know that there's other famous people out there in culture, but I'm here to tell you that I came to you like a mama, and you came from my ministry birth out of from the gospel, and that's how I think of you. I didn't come to make money off of you. I came to give to you. I didn't come to get anything from you. I come to give to you just like a mother is. And they understood that to be true. They wanted that. Listen, when we talk about, and what Paul's talking about here, is, is we tend to make a mistake. And part of our mistake is related to authenticity and that we, we so often want people to be authentic, but yet we value people who are far off as our heroes. If you have a hero, let me just tell you, it's somebody you can touch. Like that mom in the house, that is a hero. 
And that dad in the house, that is the hero. And that couple fighting the good fight, they are both heroes. And the person who shows up for somebody else, they're heroes. And so a hero is somebody you can touch. Not somebody on the screen, somebody with a big YouTube channel, somebody who knows how to post on Instagram and have a few seconds to look good. I'm telling you that in the gospel, the way Christians rule, the way God works it out, is that our heroes are people we can touch. Those people who come forward here to pray for you as a church, there are forms of that. They're willing to step out and hear your stories and intercede and ask that God would come meet you. It's a heroic effort. They don't have to do that. <laughs> but they do it out of love. They do it out of faith and they do it out of caring for you. And Paul's telling them that I, 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 I came to you with this authenticity. I'm not perfect is what Paul was saying, but we are friends and that we actually miss you and our motives were pure. And you have to understand, as Paul mentions, this conflict in culture, it just continues to be there. And we want to continue to be people of truth and as people of peace. I just, this week, was looking at this survey. This is actually from South Florida, but it really kind of mirrors California in a unique way, where uh, if you don't go to church and you don't call yourself a Christian, if you're part of that unsaved world that way, 20% of that crowd, only 20% has a favorable view of church or going to church or Christ. That same South Florida group, which is interesting because it's the South, uh, 50% of that crowd had a very low view of any local pastor. And they would favor a YouTube channel over any kind of local pastor. And so our society has that same kind of conflict. Oh, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. You want to come with me? What do some of your friends say? Well, may, well, if they like you, maybe they have a bold response or maybe they respect you for it. But generally, there's kind of a coolness to that. And we're in California where I would say local church, assembly, and congregation, and worship is not valued. So I love you guys for coming to church today. And I would just say, related to pastors and all of that, that's, a, that's nothing that's valued in our California culture. That for us to actually serve the Lord is actually to enter in and love and kindness to the kind of conflict for which Paul found himself here in the days of Thessalonica. Going on now, he's going he's gonna to reference being like a dad, like a, like a dad. He says, for in verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. For you are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how we like a father with his children, there it is in verse 11, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom in glory. So there is this context of conflict that can come up in ministry. And God calls us to be tenderhearted like a mom, and he says that he's like that. He also says that he's tenderhearted like a dad. And Paul came not wanting to burden them. Uh, when I was thinking about this, I was really thinking about another story from my sons just uh, related to the nature of fatherhood and being tenderhearted. Apostle Paul was here for three weeks. That conflict came, and then he had to leave, and he was worried about these people, and they would grow in such a way as to be a unique 
example to all of Greece, but he's thinking about them because he's away. And years ago, I was had a couple couple of travel things that were back to back. And on the last part of a travel, I actually went east to west. I was in Europe um, with a bunch of pastors doing ministry. And then I was turning all the way around and home for a very short time and then going to Australia and New Zealand. And so I'm in the middle of all of that. And I come home and I've got really little kids. Uh, they're, you know, really small. So that's really nice because when I tell them to go to bed, they go to bed, Right. And, uh, and so they're in bed, and uh, now I'm, I'm going to leave the next day, and I've been gone for a while. I've been home only for a couple of days, really, and then I'm going to be gone for a while. And so I'm tucking him in the bed, which is really fun. I love to read to my kids in bed and uh, tuck them in when I could. And so, so there I am. And so one of them is playing with my face. And I don't know, he's probably three or four or something like that. And he's playing, he's touching my face, and he's pulling on my ears, you know, and then he's pulling on my nose, and he's pulling on my eyes, and he's rubbing his fingers in my hair, and he's trying as best he can to get my neck, and, he's, and I go, son, what are you doing? And he goes, well, you're leaving, you're leaving now, dad. I go, yeah, I got to go, but I'll be back in a couple weeks. He goes, I, I want to remember your face. And he comes up to smell me. He goes, I want to remember what you smell like. And I remember, well, I want to remember what, you, what it's like to touch you and to feel you and to have you because you're going away. Right? And I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm putting the kid in the, in the, in the suitcase. Right? <laughs> He's going to go through customs with me. Right? We'll have him, we'll have him on the, the other side. I'm like, oh, son, you're breaking my heart in a sweet way. But th- that's what it's like to be tenderhearted. And that's what it's like to be tenderhearted as a son to a father and a father to a son. That's what it's like, as we looked earlier, for a mom to be tenderhearted toward her children and for her children to be tender-hearted back. And Paul is reminding them of that. He's reminding them of that tender-hearted nature of God. And he's saying, I modeled that for you. I came preaching truth. I came with supernatural power. But when I actually lived among you, I was modeling for you this, the tender-hearted nature of God. And I was not making demands. Now, I'll kind of mention that in just a moment here. I'm not making demands on you is what he said. So one of the things to understand about that phrase, when Paul says in verse nine, that I might not be of any burden to you while we proclaim the gospel. And it just kind of makes sense when you think it through, but it's also very true and greatly misunderstood. Is that you have to understand the apostle Paul, he was Jewish. Everybody should say yes. Yes. Say yes. There you go. He's Jewish. He's a Jewish Messiah preaching rabbi. And he's an evangelist and he's an apostle. So he's coming from Jerusalem. And the Jews in Jerusalem had the teachings of Moses relating to tithing. And so Jews were good tithers. They understood from the law of Moses the blessing that came from tithing. They understood God's economy over his kingdom and that kind of finances and how that works. And Jesus himself had women and others who funded his ministry. And so now he's in Greece. That's not Jerusalem. (laughs) They have people like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and others, and they as a culture were not tithers. And they as a culture were not generous. They, They were into transaction. And so in that sense, we would call it a guru. 
And so, uh, you know, I, I go on YouTube or you go on YouTube or you go on Instagram or something like that. And then you listen to the short feed and then it's like, okay, for $299, you can, you can take this class where if you go like this, everybody will like you, right? And I'm going to teach you to use two thumbs on your forehead and wink at everybody like that. And everybody will like you for $299. I will show you how that works. Now just sign up right here. I mean, I'm being silly, of course, right? But there's plenty of that going on social media. And you see those ads like I do. That's called transaction or a transactional nature relationship. I all of a sudden will give you this kind of benefit. I'll guarantee it. You can get your money back maybe in 30 days. And then you get all these other things. That's not generosity. That's not tithing. And so the Greeks weren't like that. They looked at Paul, but he said, they go, we're not giving you a dime, brother. You can preach Jesus to us all you want. We are not helping you out. And Paul so boldly understood that culture. And he says, great, I'll go get a job. What can I work? I'll make tents. Uh, I'll pick up trash. I'll do other things. Because he didn't want to be a burden to them because he wanted to show them how an apostle would love God and still trust God in that, which is why he's earning the right to say, I was like a mom and I was like a dad and I was giving to you. You weren't giving to me. I was actually giving to you. And that was my motive. My motive was to teach you, was to actually teach you about these things. And so they received it that way. And he could come back later to them and talk about these things. So in verse 12, Paul will say, we exhorted each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory, which is exactly why he was saying, listen, if you're wondering, if there's any critics out there, then I just stand up and I say, who among this other group out there would actually come and not charge you for this? This is how the Greek world would work but I come in grace and love with no charge and preach to you the gospel of God. So I'm teaching you how to walk in a manner worthy of the kingdom of God and of Christ. God is tenderhearted towards us like a mom. Apostle Paul modeled that. Tenderhearted like a father. The apostle Paul modeled that. And now he's going to say, be tenderhearted toward the word of God in verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, Paul will say, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as that what it is really the word of God, which is at work in you believers, which is a beautiful thing. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things as your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Let me pause right there. He's going to mention the word of God. Tenderhearted towards the word of God. Here's a list of some things I want you to understand about the word. It's divine. It's divine. The Bible that you hold right there came from God. Secondly, it's perfect. There aren't any errors in it. It perfectly describes Jesus. It perfectly describes the culture that it's talking about. It perfectly describes history. It's actually perfect. If you created a quote book from the sermons through the first hundred years after Jesus rose from the dead, you'd get an entire New Testament. That's just off of the quotes of gospel preachers preaching and quoting the Bible. You would get an entire New Testament. The Bible is complete. The Bible is enough. The Bible is sufficient. 
The Bible will give you liberty. It'll give you sobriety. It'll give you God's miracle working power. That is the word of God. The word of God itself says it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it will actually penetrate bone and marrow, talking about the soul and the spirit. If you fail the word of God, church, the word of God will not fail you. The word of God won't. So what you hold here is something divine, something unique. It is the kind of thing where the testimony of our church and many, many other people is that I read one verse and it changed my life. I read one verse. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you, quoting Matthew 6.33. I can remember reading that over and over again and that would change my life. If we confess our sins, the Bible would say, another verse that's changed many people's lives. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is like, are you dirty inside? Are you dirty inside? Are you dirty inside? Are you broken inside? You can be clean. Yeah. First John chapter one. Verse nine, another verse that'll change your life. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for those of the whole world. First John chapter two, verse one and two. The word of God is alive. It is living and active. That sharpness of two-edged sword and it will deliver you from demons. It'll deliver you from all negativity that comes against you. It'll deliver you from uh, bad relationships. It'll deliver you from bondage. It'll affect your health and your mental health and deliver you from illness on both sides of the street there. The word of God will do that. Actually, one verse can kind of do that, or will do that. That's what this is, and that's what Paul is saying that you actually embrace people in Thessalonica. You actually embrace, I was with you for three weeks. Many people got saved. A revival came up. There was lots of social conflict here and you stayed true because you saw the word of God do that. He says, I love you. I love you for that like a father. I love you for that like a mother. And I want you to continue on now and be tenderhearted. Be tenderhearted in the Lord. I love it as a pastor when I uh, am just socializing with, with all of you in church in various contexts and something comes up and what will happen is you're telling me that you're studying and reading the word and you kind of give me that verse. Like I didn't ask for it. I didn't look for it. I know people's stories and some will say, well, here's what the word did. That's so beautiful. Here's what the word of God is saying. I'm going to give you about five quick sentences and we're going to run for home. God desires to have all of you so you can have all of him. God desires to have all of you, church, so you can have all of him. God wants to bring you to him through a straight line. So for you, your life, much like mine, probably went through all of these, you know, broken areas in order to find Christ, but he's actually taking you as a straight line to him. You can see the straight line through scripture, and I've already quoted that. Many are fools. Don't be one. 
Many will actually hear about the word of God. They'll be pleasant about the word of God and they will stand apart from the word of God. Don't be one. Jesus is the beautiful savior. He is most mighty, strong enough to save and loves you no matter what. And he will bring you to God and you will see his power, the love of God, the freedom of God and the forgiveness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, pray with me. Pray with me. I just want to have a meditation with you this morning, church. And I pray, Father, now that you would just come and meet us here by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would come and, and speak sweetness and tenderness to our lives. You need the tenderness of God as Savior in a big way this morning. Just right where you're at, would you just raise your hand? You need the sweetness and tenderness of God. Thank you, guys. Raise your hand. Thank you. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. You need that in a big way. Awesome. Put your hands down. So, Father, I pray for these that would raise your hand and say, this part of you, which is so sweet and tender-hearted, which comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that you would bring that your tender-hearted nature to the circumstances that they find themselves in, to the pain that is stirred inside them, to the grief maybe that they actually carry at this moment. And so I pray, God, that you would bring your tender-heartedness so richly and sweetly to them. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.